You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's Talk Radio Show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Weston Williams and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, on the show, it's a band geek edition of Sportsando. Say no more. And then, I don't know how we pulled it off, but we have a free throw with tenor, author, stage director, clown, radio host, and television personality, Rolando Villazon. He does it all. In an excerpt from Oliver's exclusive interview with one of classical music's most recognizable stars, Villazon stands friend of the show, Emily Pogarelts. Plus, in the two-minute drill, well, at least Martin Brabens didn't punch anyone when things got ugly at English National Opera. <laughs> hey, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, you click follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you just hit the plus sign. Send us a voice memo or even email us your hot takes. Mailbag at operaboxscore.com. You can even just record your thoughts Using the You Got Something to Say page on our website, it's all new, operaboxscore.com. And however you contribute, you're going to get the OBS Beer Coaster, the OBS Lapel Pen, and the all-new number one OBS fan, Foam (laughs) Finger, just for sharing your own hot take. This is a great crew. I love how with a roster of five people, the combinations are endless, Weston. Well, I was just thinking, like, I, I wonder if one of our uh, more Excel spreadsheet-minded fans might do a little statistical breakdown, because I think Ashley George Weston is one of the rarer uh, combinations that we've had on the show so far. I, I agree with that. Is that because you two can't agree on college football with Alabama and Arkansas going head-to-head this last weekend. I mean, George, I didn't watch the game, but I just kind of assumed that we won. Which you did. He just just knew. Before we started, listeners, he's like, and did we win? I'm like, you did, Weston. You did win. But we put up a heck of a fight. That's what I'll tell you. Yeah. Roll away. But yes. Problems at Hallis Hall and Social Fear Field here in Chicago. Speaking of disappointments in football, wow. Okay, so I watched Justin Fields go down yesterday, and initially it looked like he was holding his wrist. We have now learned that it was a dislocated thumb, uh, and his backup, sweet baby baby rookie out of Shepard, Tyson Bagant, uh, came in for what could have been an amazing, glorious Come back uh, until the interception in the last two minutes of the game. So that wasn't great for us as we went down to the Vikings. Uh, Justin's probably not going to play this week. We'll see. Um, Eberflew said that they're going to check in on it later this week. Um, Also, interesting piece of trivia. No NFL team is left undefeated after this week's games. Uh, What up to the New York Jets who needed literally a win in every actual and metaphorical way possible and they took down (laughs) Philly. Wow. Our friends at Opera Philadelphia are going to be livid about that. That makes me so happy. I can't even tell you. Let us talk some opera. And now, where the histories of music and sports collide. Boom. Sportsando. Gentlemen, listeners, those in the universe, it is fall. 
That means the air is cooler, the colors on the trees are changing, and of course, one of my favorite times of year, football season. Uh. And if you're a fan of football and you're a fan of music, put those two hands together and what do you get? Marching band! Yay! Oh, marching band is like, it's just such a decidedly American thing. Uh, so wait, were either of you in like band, marching band, anything of the sort? Uh, I mean, you are making us say this in front of all of the, our uh, really cool listeners. Nice. But yes, I was a member of my high school Shades Valley marching band, Go Mounties, clarinet player. <laughs> I was always throwing off all the formations because I was twice the height of everyone else in that section. Oh my gosh, you're such a liability. Uh, I marched in college as well. I played trumpet. I still do. And I loved it. Our marching band out there on the East Coast was a scatter band. So none of this like eight to the five business. We did comic (laughs) halftime shows and we made crazy pictures and made people laugh. It was a blast. I love that I'm on here with band geeks. And by the way, I think we're now in an era where you let those freak flags fly. So we're going to embrace our band geekness. Uh, I was a diehard French horn and in marching season mellophone player. I marched all the way through high school and all... Yes, it does. And all the way through college. And I went to a school that was really known for its band for my undergrad. And I was part of the Arkansas Tech University's Band of Distinction. Shout out. (laughs) Uh, Our football team was not good most of the time that I was in college. So the only time the stands were full was when halftime came around because people were coming to see the Band of Distinction do their halftime show. There was a big battle of the bands between us and Henderson State University, where no matter where the teams were playing, all of the bands would all come together and do a huge battle of the bands. It's This is something that is very... Very special to me when it comes to thinking about band music, thinking about, you know, sort of the the different ways it's represented. It is it is uniquely an American sound. And there are definitely representatives of opera within the expanding world that is band music and marching oh, band yes. music. Um we hear we love intersections at OBS. And so For all of you band geeks who also geek out on opera, today is for you. We are going to explore the intersection of opera and band music, and I'm going to give you some really fun little nuggets that I'm pretty sure none of you have heard before. So as I mentioned, marching band, it's an integral part of American culture. It has roots in, guess what, the military. Uh, Marching songs were initially used to do things like direct troops when they were going on long journeys, keep up their spirits, maintain morale, and sometimes even direct the troops while they were on the battlefield. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Military traditions. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure to put on the third clarinet. <laughs> that's you mean right. You. That's right. Me specifically. Yeah. West, Western in particular. Well, I mean, the thing is, you'd have been at the front to direct the troops because they would have been able to see you for miles and miles. It's true. Uh, mil- R.I.P. <laughs> So military traditions, they continue to form part of what is in the modern uh, marching band era. A lot of the uniforms still have sort of throwbacks to military themes. Uh, Some marching bands, especially the military style marching bands, still have ranks. Some popular marching bands have songs that are through hundreds of years and include opera. Um, Once marching bands started to become outdated in that military setting, they were seen more in things like sports and entertainment venues. Most audiences know marching band music from things like halftime shows and football games. 
Uh, and actually, there's a hometown tradition starter here. The first recorded instance of a marching band at a football game was the University of Illinois' Marching Illini in 1907. Oh, wow. It was the very first documented performance of a marching nice. band at a football game. And so now, for over a century, musicians have been running around on football fields making pictures and just <laughs> like opera singers, telling audio and visual stories. So, mm. for the handful of you who weren't cool and didn't know a whole lot about bands, <laughs> I'm going to give you a quick little rundown of some of the major types. The first one is going to be sort of where it all began, the military band. There aren't as many of these around these days. Um, it, they really do uphold that tradition of military. It's straight organized ranks and their marching style. They always march forward. You see in some marching bands now where they'll move side to side or they'll march backwards, mm -hmm. not in military style. Everything right, is forward. Yeah. The horns are always in the direction that they are marching. So the sound changes as they move to left, right and center. Um, like I said, there's not a ton of these around now. The biggest one in the country at the moment is... The Texas A&M University Fightin' Texas Aggie Band. Uh, they mm, are yeah. a fascinating little crew to watch. Um, another type that you'll see is the drum and the bugle corps, or for short, drum corps. This is going to be more fluid in its style. These are folks that will, when they march, they don't do the straight directions the way that military do. They will traverse or they'll slide. So they're basically cheating out, if you're thinking about like mm -hmm. actors and opera singers. Yep. They're cheating out with their bodies so that the horn is always a constant wall of sound, no matter where they move, so that they're always pointing their horns toward the audience. In America, you'll see this most in the magical world that is DCI or Drum Corps International. Um, we could do an entire show on DCI. We could do a whole DCI podcast on DCI. There, I think there are podcasts just dedicated to DCI. I am sure there are some DCI podcasts out there. These modern productions in DCI, I encourage you to Google them. Carolina Crown of 2023 actually includes Mozart's Lacrimosa, not opera, but very impressive. Uh, it is opera according to Lyric Opera of Chicago, which will be doing Mozart's Requiem and as part of their season. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but that production, I mean, seriously, it rivals like choreo that I've seen. It's almost better than some of the choreo that I've seen in opera houses. Um, another type that you'll find is just what we call the straight up marching band. And this is what you see in high schools and in colleges across the country, largely at halftimes of football games. You know, there's a, an emphasis on like crowd work and storytelling and the marching style will have in addition to, you know, some of the high style of military bands, more of a glide, a rolling step. Yep. Uh, you might yep. know something about eight <laughs> to five stride, which is where uh, in eight yeah. steps you go five yards. And if you are Weston, that's kind of easy. If you are me <laughs> and five foot three, it is a big challenge. They always uh, have me yes. doing like two to fives <laughs> <Yeah>. to really <laughs> cover some ground. I cannot do it, man. Eight to five nearly killed me my first uh, there's a reason we got PE credit for it in college because oh, marching yeah. in Arkansas in August no thanks um, but wow. they're gonna have like edgier sounds they're gonna lean a little further into things like contemporary music but they'll still include a lot of classical music and opera which we'll talk about and then you've got this little offshoot called the party band and the party band is like spirit of band without the formality of like organizing movement one of the biggest ones that you'll see is the Detroit party marching band basically yeah, they they perform without quote unquote drill. Drill is like the organized moving and structure that you'll find in marching bands. A actually, so you are you are straight up giving me flashbacks with all this terminology. Like I, I am like <laughs> I'm like I'm getting I'm like literally I feel like I'm in high school again. This is I mean, this is why we're doing it. Football is a time football season is a time for nostalgia for our own 
football careers, which were in marching bands. So here we are. Uh, but yeah, so the party band is just, you know, it's another little offshoot of like, we don't necessarily want to move around the field, but we want to play and have that vibe and basically get the party started. And that's where the party band is. So those are kind of the four different types of bands that you will see the most of these days in sort of modern marching band. And when we think about band... When we think about band music in general, the one person who always rises to the surface, the one person go. that most mm-hmm, people will mm-hmm. know from this area, yep. the March King himself, John <laughs> Philip Souza. Now, he is the father <laughs> of band music, but did you also know that he was an operetta composer as well? Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is trippy to hear uh, music clearly written by John Philip Sousa that has strings in it. Uh, it, it, it. It is just such a, a strange like spine tingling experience like like you've crossed over into an alternate dimension but he did it he could tell a story he did i mean the man knew what he was doing he found a formula and he stuck with it and he was all the better and famous because of it so yes he is largely known for like his military style marches but he wrote operettas he had 14 completed operas between 1879 and 1915 there is one additional that was left unfinished I hope some other band geek out there decides to pick it up Mm -hmm. and finish that bad boy. Mm. That'd be great. Um, The most popular of his operettas was a piece called El Capitan from 1896. And it was a portrayal of the Spanish administration in Peru. Um, I'm not sure if we'd be able to do a performance of it today. (laughs) Uh, There are little racist. The music is lovely. The music is absolutely lovely. Um, (laughs) Here's some fun little trivia for you. So the Broadway premiere actually starred William DeWolf Hopper, who originated the role. And he went on to be a prominent Gilbert and Sullivan patterner. Gilbert and Sullivan patterer. He was also best known for performing, guess what? Casey at the Bat. Another Uh sports It's all connected. Yes, he actually, I think he's on record as having performed it like 10,000 times over the course of his career. Jeez. Yeah. That's about how many yeah. episodes we've had so far of uh Sousa is going toe to toe with Gilbert and Sullivan then here. I mean it's it's we're kind of in the same time period. The output is about the same. The uh uh dated racism is probably about the same. <laughs> probably around the same, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, and and so El Capitan is the one that you'll hear about the most. You still won't hear about it a lot, but you'll hear about that one the most. It's considered to be his most successful operetta. He also composed a march with different extractions that came from the show, and the U.S. Marine Band plays that a lot. I think one of the more recent recordings is from like 2016. There's like a two and a half minute march where he pulled all of the marches out of El Capitan and put it into this sort of seated wind ensemble suite. Nice. Um, the operetta, however, it sat on the shelf for a little bit. It was really popular. When when it first came out in the 1890s, it was getting performed all over the place. And then it kind of sat for a hundred-ish years. Uh, not many of the recordings of the operetta are easily available. But shout out to Ohio Light Opera because they produced and recorded it in 2010. And the music is actually really, really charming. We're going to drop in a clip here of the opening ensemble. Oh, I'm 
that sort of like Straussy, flater mousey, you know, sort of that opening party scene ode to happiness and light before the actual dramatic action begins. But I mean, the music is really fun and yeah, it's, and it's the- of its of its time, you know. And so, some years ago, I did look at uh, producing uh, Seuss's opera, The Glass Blowers. Drink. <gasps> and I looked can at the, we? Oh my gosh, can I, we? I looked can at, we, at the please? score and I was like. Wow, this really makes no sense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to revisit it. Just hire your local uh, high school marching band. They'll they'll play it for you. There we go. You know, I mean, we'll see. Maybe we rather we find ways to sort of make El Capitan less uh, offensive, mayhaps, mm-hmm. because the music in El Capitan is delightful. Um, so that's you know kind of an I a little a little primer into sort of all of these different intersections where opera and and band all start to come together. Um, the library of arrangements of opera tunes is is actually pretty pretty vast, uh, and you know in the already vast section of arrangements for marching band, it's an entire cottage industry. If you're ever bored one day, DM me and we'll do a deep dive. Uh, so when we look at the <laughs> opera arrangements for marching bands, some of them are absolutely sublime. Some of them are d- a little bit less so. But oh, yeah. for my band nerds on this call and out in the country, I wanted to give you a few examples of places where opportunes meet that marching field. Um, one of the places that um, you will see more and more recordings uh, of of different types of opera pieces is through the opera Carmen. Uh, there's a lot of different <laughs> selections of marching bands and wind ensembles playing pieces from Carmen, selections from Carmen, a fantasy suite on Carmen. Um, a couple of years ago in 2021, Brownwood High School in Central Texas did an entire halftime show on Carmen. Uh, and it's really delightful. I recognize that this is an audio medium and we're going to play you a little clip of it. But listeners, I want you to imagine the color guard, the flag line ladies in, you know, sort of red and black with flags that have beautiful red roses on them, all in like a hot August, September day in central Texas. But at any rate, here's a little selection from Brownwood High School's Carmen show. Clip is so good. We are gonna we're gonna have to put that on the website as well, so people can see those amazing costumes. I mean, they're really stunning, and this is this is a high school, so exactly. like you know. I mean, the the the, the color guard uh, uniforms are such an art, uh, and often they are an art that verge w- well into the avant garde. I try. <laughs> It was it was always a toss up in my high school band uh, how hideous the color guard uniforms would be, but you know as long as you're telling the story, I mean it doesn't really matter. And I I, I heard marching bands also do a little bit of Carmen here and there. Never a full Carmen themed show like this, but you you often saw if not opera operatic things like my very first marching band show 
began with the opening trumpet solo to Mahler's Fifth Symphony, which, you know, is about as close as you can get to an opera while not having anyone sing, I think, and uh, ended with the finale from Stravinsky's Firebird. And a fun story about that is that the band director wanted someone to twirl streamers during those final chords. And he looked out into uh, into the field and said, okay, which one of these sections are doing the worst job at playing the actual music right now. (laughs) And he said, clarinets, I want you to run to the back of the field, throw your instruments on the ground, pick up a giant yellow streamer and twirl it around in the final scenes. And fun fact, up until recently, there was a video on YouTube. I tried to find it for this episode. I cannot. Maybe one of our listeners can. There's a video of the Shades Valley High School marching band circa 2008 or 9. And the final shot of that video is a close-up on me twirling a yellow streamer (laughs) in the air to the final notes of Firebird. And it's probably um, the best thing I've ever done. That is genius. And what a beautiful unplanned segue to not opera, but oh my goodness, listen to this. Um, There is, in addition to the different sets of opera that you'll hear, there's this like weird underground network of Shostakovich creeping into marching band shows. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like high school all the way through college. And one of the most incredible ones that I can think of is Jacksonville State University uh, marching show from 2008. They play the living snot out of Shostakovich 5. Here's a little (laughs) section of that. I mean, that band is just, they are, I mean, the sonic boom, it's real. That's that's what they call it. His symphony number five is just, it's made for marching, honestly. Yeah, that is for real. Whoa. It is absolutely stunning. So we go from the stunning to the meta. Um, If you're familiar, there's there's a 1957 Warner Brothers cartoon parody called What's Opera Doc? Uh, And that cartoon walks us through Wagner's operas and... Pagliacci and many other things. But <laughs> here's what I'll tell you. This marching band arrangement of highlights from what's opera doc is incredible. It hits, it hits so hard. And one of the things that is always, you know, if I think too hard about this music, I, I, I remember this and then it blows my mind even more is that so many operas, the scores incorporate strings. You don't have strings in the marching yep. band. So it yeah. really relies very heavily on brass percussion, you know, depending on, you know, if it's a if it's a marching band or a military band, you're probably going to have woodwinds. But even if you're in drum corps, there's not going to be any woodwinds. Um, Yeah, just just brass. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear these pieces that 
in your mind, you're automatically thinking of with a string section. Just they don't. Now they're fully winds brass percussion. Uh, but at any rate, the the marching arrangement of what's opera doc is I encourage you to listen to the whole thing, but we're just going to give you a little clip right now. something that totally hits to something that scratches my head uh there are (laughs) there are a number of different like composers out there who are cranking out things for these high school and these college ensembles and a lot of times they'll just sort of have their stuff out and out in the space so that you can investigate it. And if you're, you know, a high school band director in Iowa, you might buy it. Uh, and so this guy, <laughs> Jeff Chambers, arranged the flower duet from Lockme. Um, I don't I don't know how to feel about it. I'm not yeah. sure how I feel about it. Oh, um, God. I listeners, I want you to listen to it and then tell me how you feel about it. I mean, it wouldn't be marching band without like <laughs> an extremely questionable arrangement. Uh, I, I remember, yeah. you know, I was in high school when uh, Michael Jackson died, so we saw a lot of like Michael Jackson tribute oh, shows. Oh my god! And I remember Thriller. one show which somehow managed to fit in uh, Mars Bringer of War and uh, Thriller in the same halftime show. And just like the 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 logical and emotional leaps you have to go through as a viewer and player is it's truly astounding. I mean, this is art. And the physical leaps too, knowing that Mars the bringer of war is in five four, trying to march to that, like I know makes my it, head want to explode. There were so many people. There was one <laughs> there was one show, I'm not lying about this. It was a, it was a Mar it was clearly an arrangement of Mars Bringer of War. But they redid it so that it was in four four, so it was an easier <laughs> oh, to march. My it was gosh. it was a mess. That was a I don't want to call out you know a, you know a high school marching band from fifteen twenty well, however old I am years ago now, but like it was probably one of the worst shows I've ever seen. <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, I was about to get sassy with you guys, and I think I still will. What? You guys didn't have to march in 5-4 because the Arkansas Tech University Band of Distinction oh, I, I, did. I sure did. No. Honey, Spanish I I fantasy, the pain. marching in five, we were <laughs> terrified. It was, And it was my freshman year, and like I was still so used to like major music, major chords, sometimes yeah. minor. If you got weird, everything was in 4-4. And then all of a sudden, they handed me a drill, and we had to march in 5-4. I... I thought about Jeez. quitting for like an hour, um, but then we did it and it was incredible. And to this day, in like the lore of the college band there at ATU, that's like one of the shows that like everybody still talks about. See, I'm getting really into my band geekdom here. Um, I hope this has been enjoyable for all of you because I'm having a great time. Uh, and then, okay, the best recording that I was able to like get my hands on that really just sort of tugged at my heartstrings. Uh, it's also one for my dear friend George, who's on Aww. this call. Uh the Forever Valiant University of Michigan marching band uh, doing Nessun Dorma from Toronto. So we will close Amazing. out with a little bit of a, a, a wicked brass section screaming some vincero. So fantastic. I got to tell you, if you grow up in Ann Arbor and you play a marching band instrument, you play trumpet like me, the dream is to be in the Michigan marching band. So even just hearing them on that recording and obviously sometimes if you get lucky on a college football Saturday on TV, you even get a little clip snippet of the marching band. Oh, my goodness. Ashley, you have scratched the band geek itch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I do want to add one little well actually Weston you can decide whether to edit this in or have it be a well actually correction at the end when I spoke about the Shostakovich uh, band and the rock and halftime show that was actually university which mm. is different than Jackson State University yeah, so Jack State. congratulations to Jacksonville State University for having an epic, epic halftime show in their game against Georgia Tech if you're a band geek yourself let us know what the closest thing to opera you ever played in band opera box score is the show mailbag at operaboxscore.com is how you talk to us travel through time to the very beginnings and before of opera join the oriana singers chicago's premier chamber choir for monteverdi's Vespers. Don't miss the chance to experience this rarely performed 17th century masterwork live with period instruments. It's Monteverdi's Vespers presented by the Oriana Singers. When I think of Monteverdi's Vespers, I think of like Monteverdi on like a teeny little scooter, but 
Maybe that's just me. <laughs> Saturday, October 28th in Oak Park and Sunday, October 29th in Chicago. For tickets and more information, go to oriana.org. O-R-I-A-N-A dot O-R-G. And hey, use the promo code Time Travel for $5 off your tickets. This summer, Rolando Villazon was at Santa Fe Opera to sing the role of Orfeo in Nico Muli's new orchestration of the Hey! Monteverdi Opera. But Villazon got injured and he had to miss the prima. Or maybe he feigned injury so that he wouldn't have to suffer being interviewed by the OC. <laughs> well, <laughs> Villazon made good on his promise to Oliver and gave a generous interview for WFMT's Listening to Singers. We have this one outtake to share with you as a special free throw. The topic relates to pacing and how to give 100% on stage without sacrificing your vocal health, inspired by this iconic performance in the Willi Decker production of La Traviata from the 2005 Salzburg Festival. I just would love to ask you, Maestro, um, what it takes for you to get to that place where you can do that on stage and night after night and uh, tap into some real emotion that we still feel even all these years later after you recorded it, it's still there. It's hot, you know? You know, you explore yourself and you know how to deliver certain phrases, what color you use. I don't believe in going into your own emotions. I don't believe in trying to bring it out of yourself because as a singer inside of yourself, you need to be free. You need to be concentrated in actually producing the sound in the right way. And so it is more about finding the right gestures, finding the right color, and finding the right length of the phrases you're seeing, the right dynamics. You put that all together, and that's what you do over and over and over. You actually repeat that. That is rehearsing, this repetition. And you might be tired one day, or you might have a little phlegm somewhere, or you might be super happy or so full, but you actually do exactly the same thing that you... um, that you decided to do all this combined. So it's more of a work of intelligence rather than instinct or spontaneity. And how you reach this moment? Well, it's a journey. It's the journey of your own character. And you follow through the steps of your character and you bring them to life again through very specific practical things and very specific specific choices you make with how you use everything you are as a performer. It's, Everything you are in you. 
it's actually remarkable that you're saying it like that because I think those of us who have been your fans just assume you're saying like, oh, the hell with it. I'm going to go for it today. I'm going to be savage today because I know they're making a recording today. You know, you're saying that's not the case. I, I, well, no, I think, you know, of course, there are moments where you feel, wow, today I feel good. And you know, you can explore a little bit more of this note. Or the, but I would argue and probably, I mean, I would put out there also for you to ask all, 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 some other of my colleagues I think some of the best performances when you're not feeling that good because you are more concentrated, because you are more technical about it, and and yet it comes more focus and the emotion is clearer. Sometimes when you feel really good, it can go to places where it's out of what you had decided to do because you allowed yourself to do a little bit more. There's always a range of, yes, of spontaneity, and sometimes the energy on stage is such that some magic happens that was never rehearsed. That will always happen. That's why people need to go to the theater because you will never experience that in recordings. You will only experience that sitting in uh, the audience and listening and, and 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 seeing a performance. Only these magical moments happen only there. It doesn't matter how many times you've uh, rehearsed it. And so when I say you repeat and you make choices, this is true. And yet, every performance in itself is unique. Little things will happen all the time. It's like a wave in the sea. They all look the same. They are all very different. And sometimes you see that one that is absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> Maestro, in the like one minute I have left with you, will you say something about Emily Pogorelts? Because we love her here so much in Chicago. And I'm so thrilled that you found her and you recognized her talent. She's so young, but she's got a lot to offer, right? Now, Emilio, Emily is absolutely fantastic. He's one of the... I have not been so excited about a performer for a long time since I met uh, Emily. Really, I met her just a couple of years ago. By case, I mean, I was asked to sing a little duet of Monteverdi, Purtimiro, in Munich with her. And immediately I found not only a beautiful singer, but a great performer. The energy she brings on stage is like no other I have experienced. I have experienced similar energies with other wonderful colleagues like, like Diana Damra or like uh, Natalie Desai. But of course, with Emily, it's very unique because only her, she can do that. And I have had the chance now to sing with her many times. I invite her every time I can to my concerts. So we do concerts together and she's absolutely fantastic. She steals the show almost. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very happy for her and for music. And I was now, uh, I had the, 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 the happiness of staging her in La Sonambula in Dresden. And it was pure joy, pure joy how she takes every, all the information, all the ideas, uh, and then digest all of that and transform everything into her own marvelous performance. And it is exactly what I wanted. And yet it's different because she's so creative and she, she still, she does what the great ones have to do. You have to steal the music from the composer. You have to steal the concept from the stage director and you have to steal the vision from the conductor and make it your own. And once you do that, composer, stage director and conductor will be very happy.
Friend of the show, Emily Pogareltz, with pianist Christian Grovlin, performing Debussy's Apparition from the 2019 Queen Sonia competition in Oslo. Well, that free throw took a left turn. I thought they were supposed to be talking about Verity. You can stream Oliver's full-length interview with Rolando Villazon on listening to singers at WFMT.com until October 27th. And you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. Click follow Apple Podcasts. Hit the plus sign. So cool. That Philly Decker production of Traviata, of course, that would go on to the Met. That was the one where death was on stage the whole time in a trench coat. There was the big red sofa and this enormous (laughs) clock above the stage. Oh, my gosh. I saw that production in person. It was so good. Even better is the two-minute drink. This just in. The two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in opera land this week. English National Opera has started a, quote, consultation process to cut the size and makeup of its orchestra. The first proposal, cutting 19 positions in the band and putting remaining staff on part-time contracts. That would see them lose 40% of their pay. Ashley, was that announcement taken well? Nope. After that announcement, ENO music director Martin Brabens said that he could not, quote, in all conscience, continue to support the board and management strategy for the future of the company. Brabens resigned right after the announcement, and all was well, right, George? Nope. Then the company <laughs> replied, quote, ENO is surprised that Martin Brabens has decided to end his tenure as music director so abruptly. As a member of the ENO senior leadership, Martin has been party to all key discussions at all stages. The 2023 International Opera Awards nominees have been announced. Full details after the drill. The Music Academy's Marilyn Horn Song Competition has announced that baritone Navasard Hakobian and pianist Brian Cho are its 2023 winners. In addition to $5,000 cash awards, they'll also work on a commission work by composer Joel Thompson. Hakobian is an Armenian baritone, and Cho is a Toronto native who's worked as a collaborative pianist and interim repetitor with the Canadian Opera Company. Luca Salsi has been awarded the Cavaliere di Verdi by the club the 27. He was awarded the prize for being a, quote, excellent interpreter of the Verdian repertoire, bringing to the world stage roles from Nabucco to Falstaff, from Rigoletto to Conte di Luna, from Don Carlo di Vargas to Rodrigo di Posa. Exit stage right, Maryland Lyric Opera. Said the group founder and artistic director Brad Clark on their website, quote, I am writing to let you know that I have made the difficult decision to end the operations of Maryland Lyric Opera effective immediately. Thank you for going on this journey with me, and I look forward to seeing you in the future. And on this day, October 16th, 1679 brought us the birth of composer Zelenka, Jean Dimas Zelenka, 1704 was the first performance of Bonaccini's opera Gli Amori di Cefalo e Procri. 1771 was the first performance of Hassa's Il Ruggiero Overo L'Eroica Gratitudine in Milan. Nailed it. 1876 was the first performance of Alfred Sellier's Nell Gwynn in Manchester. 1913 brought us the birth of Italian baritone Geno Becchi. 1917 was the first performance of Leo Falls Die Kaiserin in Berlin. 1924, first performance of Krennic's Zwingborg in Berlin. 
1926 was the first performance of Kodai's opera Harianos in Budapest. 1932 brought us the birth of American conductor Henry Lewis in Los Angeles. And in 1941, it was the birth of Irish soprano Suzanne Murphy. And that's your two-minute drill. From Nabucco, recorded in 1959, Gino Becchi, one of the great Italian Verdi baritones, he was a co-star to the likes of Menemino Gigli and Maria Callas. <laughs> Becchi was cast in the title role of Verdi's Nabucco for the reopening of La Scala in 1946. That's a crazy on this day. I, I have to admit, every time I I see the the uh, Joltan Kodai opera, it takes me back to high school music history and we're like oh yeah harry yanish harry harry yanish <laughs> you know my friend harry harry janos harry, I did, I harry did, yanish <laughs> i didn't think of it when we were doing the whole segment but there i did hear it wasn't a marching band but it was a uh, uh during concert band season i did hear the overture to the harry yanish uh uh <laughs> opera or the suite rather so you know it all comes together, you know, it's, it's, it's a, time is a flat circle. We're all about intersectionality. Um, you know who's not about intersectionality and getting along? <laughs> Here's the transition. <laughs> More like Ian Ono, am I right? Amazing. Oh. Is that the title of the episode, Ian Ono? <laughs> Oh, I hope so. Honestly, I'm so proud of that joke. You can put it wherever you want. I'll say it seven <laughs> times before this is over. Under Man. the heading of people that cannot get along. Oh, God. It's so... Yeah, this is, I mean, obviously, uh, this decision being made is uh, a bad one, probably, I imagine, forced by the hand of Arts Council England, um, which we've talked about, you know, as <laughs> the defining like tragedy a villain of our out of time. Central casting now, they really <laughs> are. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, to. Uh, <laughs> It, it it was brutal. The um, we when we were finding this story, one of the stories we we took it from was um, from Classic FM, and they made the point that this announcement that they were cutting 19 members of the orchestra, or they wanted to cut, excuse me, 19 members of the orchestra, and um, uh, and uh, and make everyone part time, oh, was God. you know literally like just hours after. A performance where that very same orchestra got a five-minute standing ovation. I it's mean. it's ooh man, it is rough to hear. 
Um, this is something that's going to be, I hope, uh, this, this will not happen. This is, uh, atrocious, you know, any, any jump from full-time to part-time, especially for professional musicians operating at this level, uh, if this goes, if this happens, like, is this, e- is this the end of the ENO, honestly? I, I don't see how it could continue in any sort of manner, shape, or form to what we have known from that company over decades. Yeah. Yeah. I, for I mean, me, it's it's the shade of the the publicity of the announcements. That's the thing that's really getting to me. I mean, the the news itself is really tragic, but this follow-up super shady, we're gonna fight in public with public announcements, like Brabin's being like, Nope, I can't in any conscience support you in the the strategy and the future of the company, so I'm out. And then the company's like, Really, that's funny. We're surprised considering that you've been in on <laughs> all of the key discussions at all of the stages. Now, I don't uh, know who's right here, but the sh- Eight of it all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, if, if he was in, uh, was aware of all of these things, like, I think the only thing he can do is resign. Um, honestly, it's, this whole thing is a mess. I hope that they can pull through. I, I don't really know how, I don't know if this is genuinely like such a dire cash shortfall that this really does need to happen this extremely. I, I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't know what resigning how that helps the situation though. Like I get the metaphor sort of rats leaving a drowning ship, but the other take on it, right, is like we are we are never going to give up and we're going to try and figure this out and and see what we can do. So I, I don't think anything's a given. Yeah. And th- this is, you know, this is a mess. This this will develop uh, over the next few weeks. And uh, if it actually happens, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, I'm not sure if there's much more I can say about it. I mean, this is this is pretty bad, folks. It's bad. It's bad news. The uh, 2023 International Opera Award mm. nominees are out. Now, this is interesting because I'll, Oliver and I disagree on a thing or two and this is one of the things we disagree on he, he's not a fan of the international opera awards i don't see another metric out there which allows us to look at opera on a global scale and compare as best we can artists opera houses repertoires i just i don't know what else you would use besides this now what's what's crazy right is like i'm no fan of the grammys the Oscars, I find that totally inane and nonsensical. So why I would like the IOAs, I don't even know what the trophy is called. Yoas. The, the Yoas. And, you know, when you, uh, the, the um, award ceremony is in May, I believe, in Warsaw. And so when you look at this list, it's sort of like a best of. It's sort of like looking at a Pro Bowl roster. Mm. And you just... If you're an artist in this business, you look at it and you're like, yeah, there's like no way I would ever end up on that list. You know, co- nominees for conductor, including Antonio Papano, uh, Natalie Stutzmann, Carrie Lynn Wilson. Great to see those names. These directors, Lotte de Beer, Tatiana Gorbaka, so two female directors, Andreas uh, Homoki, Barry Kosky, Keith Warner. These are legends titans of of the form one day we'll get you on the list george it's yeah i I don't know about that best opera company san francisco opera does get a nomination uh, along with everybody else being in europe the other 
category, which I thought was interesting, is best um, production, which includes the Nico Muli Orfeo from Santa Fe Opera. Yeah, yeah. By Yuval Sharon. When you look at this list, one thing is abundantly clear is that there are very few American artists or houses that are on this list. And and that, I think, is partly down to European bias, except when you get to the category of world premiere. And then out of a total of, what is it, two, four, six, eight, nine world premieres, three of them are from the U.S. And that's where you start to see kind of the turning of, of the tide. Last but not least, the award for sustainability goes to English National Opera. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So there we go. We'll talk about those, I'm sure, when they come along in May. Final thoughts, either of you two, on anything from the two-minute drill? Uh, Well, I I did want to point out to tie the two main stories of the week together. If you look in the sustainability category for um, the International Opera Awards, you have a lot of, uh, you know, companies trying to be sustainable. You've got La Monet, Kleinborn, Dutch National Opera. English National Opera is also on there. And I wonder if that might (laughs) be because it's very sustainable to cease existing. So (laughs) they might be a shoe in We'll see what happens. I mean, there's a couple of, you know... in the in the solo category, there's a there's a couple of other uh, other folks on there like Nadine Sierra, Ryan Speedo Green. So there's there's a little bit of an American presence, but yeah, I mean, I think I take both of your points, yours and Oliver's, about you know sort of the the silliness of the awards, but also yeah, we don't really have any sort of global metric. This is you know it's it's a flawed system. It leans European, absolutely, but. It's what we have. So I'll be interested to see. And of course, you know, when the winners get their awards, their publicist companies are going to be pushing that out. And that, you know, International Opera Award winner. Da, 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 da. So we're going to hear plenty about this in the weeks to come. Exactly. Yeah. Opera Philadelphia getting a nod for um, Best Festival, a nomination, 023. And under Equal Opportunities and Impact, here's another area where you're seeing more American companies appearing. They're ahead of the curve here. Atlanta Opera under the Equal Opportunities and Impact category, as well as the Asian Opera Alliance, which is such a grassroots organization. For them to get noticed this soon, on this high a scale, that is a win in itself. Let's wrap the show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call to finish off things. And we'll start with Oliver Camacho, who says, well, they're about five years late, but NPR finally got around to profiling friend of the show, Jakob Josef Orlinski on Morning Edition. We'll put a link on the website, which we will. But uh, you could also just listen to our interview with him from 2018. <laughs> Weston Williams. I have a good call to our... Our listener from who works either at Apple Music or BIS, the record label, I know one of you works there because a few weeks ago I complained uh, when we were talking about the big merger with BIS and Apple Music. I complained that there is a persistent problem with the music of Alfred Schnitka on BIS streaming services because they had a little break between every single track 
But guess what, folks? I have gone back and I've listened to a lot of those albums and that error has been corrected. So I say thank you to our listener out there who works for Apple Music. I fully support your company now and I am completely on your side. Ashley Hardgrave. Uh, next Wednesday, October 25th, is World Opera Day. Happy World Opera Day to all who celebrate. In fact, to celebrate, why don't all of you tried and true OBS fans post our logo somewhere on your social feeds to show your fandom? That is our OBS fan challenge. Post mm. that logo. Get a tattoo. Tattoo your body with our logo. Right on your face. Just right on your face. I got a good call as well. I don't go see dance often as one of the performing arts, but my wife and I went on a double date with some friends to see the ballet at the Joffrey of Frankenstein. Ooh, I want to see that. This is a production that started at the Royal Opera House with the Royal Ballet in 2016. I don't know if it's been done since. The score is by Lowell Lieberman. Mm -hmm. And this show was almost three hours long. The idea of just composing enough music for a classical ballet with no singing at that volume, three hours, is just sort of overwhelming. It's beautifully done. You're watching some of the most incredible artists, athletes in the world doing stuff, which they make look so easy. It's <laughs> kind of like pro sports, basically. That's it for this week's edition of America's talk radio show about opera hey make sure you subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts get your voice heard and find links to stuff we've talked about at the all-new website operaboxcore.com and that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are you give back to the obs via paypal on the support the team page it's that easy your announcer is norm waddell your creative consultant is oliver camacho and your audio editor is weston williams for co-host Ashley Hardgrave with guest Rolando Villazon, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you perfect your 8 to 5 stride and toot along to Nessun Dorma. <laughs> We're back with an all-new show next week when it's time for the OBS Halloween Spooktacular. Ooh. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more Western streamer twirls. Join us if you dare.